How's it going, ACL Nation? Michelle Thompson here, joined by Anthony Ione and Trey Ryder. And we have a, a pretty cool episode today. We're going to talk about Winter Haven that just happened, some interesting things that occurred there. Uh, most notably, Matt Guy in second place. I swear, this poor man. I can't, I can't <laughs> with this anymore. <laughs> hey, uh... you guys, you guys booed me when I said Matt Guy was going to take first, and he didn't. So... I mean, <laughs> did it really yeah. deserve a boo? It was still a lukewarm take. It was still uh -huh. a lukewarm take. But you, <laughs> like we said, you you can have your lukewarm after your hot take the week before. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to hop into that. We're going to hear from Mike Morton today. We're going to talk about some news around the league, go into our buy or sell, and then we're going to get into teams a little bit coming up here for our first national. So all exciting things. But first of all, starting with Winter Haven, what are we thinking overall about this? I mean, back-to-back -back opens like this. I mean, that's a bit intense, but <laughs> what do you think, Trey, overall? Yeah, overall, I thought there were certainly some names that kind of jumped out to me. People that either, I think this was an, a different feel for an open. For me, this was one where I saw people that either I challenged personally, and whether or not I said it directly to them or said it on this show that I was worried about them, they delivered, or people that I never once mentioned on this show whatsoever that came in and delivered. So I was really impressed to see some of these great players that somewhat flew under the radar in a way, or if they were flying under the radar, it was because we put them under the radar. So either way, I was impressed, and, and we'll get into it in a second, but people like Alan Rawls, obviously a huge, huge win there. That's, that's a big one we'll focus on here in a minute. People like Connie Altice, who we'll talk a lot about, I think, in this show, because a lot of us have some thoughts on her. And even people like Deborah Odom, who is someone who had a really strong run in this tournament, all caught my eye. Doubles teams, Rawls and Birchfield delivered. Maudlin and Slowbomb delivered. Batson and Grindersleeve delivered. So overall, very impressed, and I think it was a good bounce back for, for a lot of these teams. That was my favorite match, by the way. The Grindersleeve, KB, uh, Tony Smith, and Devin Harbaugh. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite match <laughs> by far. Uh, all right, Anthony, big thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, kind of big thoughts. So, I mean, Mish, back-to-back -back weekends, we're looking pretty good with our hot takes, right? You had the Gilbert Thielen finish last week. I called Tony Smith and Devin Harbaugh's finish this week. That's so true. We didn't go team on our hot takes. That. <laughs> wow, that puts a lot of pressure on me. I got uh -oh. to make sure my deal, hot take Trey. is good now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I said oh, last so week good. I was interested how the uh, how the Texas doubles teams were going to shake out. Um, Trey, you didn't like you said, you didn't have to scroll far for uh, Grindersleeve's name this time. Uh, second in the doubles bracket with Batson, uh, third in singles. Really good showing for those guys. Gross Sims with a respectable fifth uh, place finish. But I guarantee you, these boys are not overly joyed about that finish. I mean, they have goals of being top doubles teams in the pro division. Um, and, and a really rough for showing for uh, Chavez and, and uh, Sanchez. I had mentioned them last week. I was really yeah. curious to see where they would end up. Uh, I was really pulling for them. I, I got to call and see some of their matches at Worlds. Thought they were some standout players so um you know the season's still early early though so let's stand out on that and then one last mention just kind of big picture i mean jimmy humans a force all yeah. year in doubles with Cobb. um mish jimmy's saying yo i'm an elite level player on my own in singles taking down brackets and doing work in playoff rounds so let's go jimmy humans i'm proud of that guy 
Yeah. Speaking of, let's talk about our level one singles. We had first place, Alan Rawls. That is Alan. <laughs> Just to be clear on which Rawls yeah, brother we're clear. talking about. <laughs> Second place, poor Matt guy. Uh, then we had Jimmy Humans in third and Josh Holland. And I thought Josh Holland was going to take it. He seemed to be on a terror, but, uh, you know, he did get beat. So, Trey, uh, thoughts on singles? Man, you, a perfect lead-in, Michelle, for me, because I was just going to say all, all throughout the Open Series, I had been kind of waiting for that Josh Holland that I saw in San Diego. And for a split second, and, and well, maybe a little bit longer than a split second, but for a section a of game, I saw Josh Holland be that person. There were times when I saw him play against Trey Birchfield. When he beat Trey Birchfield, certain sections of that game, I said, wow, it looked automatic, okay? And it was lights out. It was it was unbelievable. I was just really, really excited to watch that version of Josh Holland. So he comes up a little bit short to Alan Rawls, but, but in the end, very impressed. And at least the wheels are turning for me on Josh Holland. You brought up Jimmy Humans, And for me, I, I almost tweeted this out this morning, but I pulled it back a little bit because I didn't want to be taken out of context because – when I say best players in the world right now, I really want to bring into consideration the fact that a lot a lot of the people that would be in that conversation haven't been consistently attending the Opens. People like Jay Rubin, people like Ryan Windsor to an extent, people like Azidra Herrera, Damon Dennis even, just haven't been consistently attending the Opens. So a lot of times we have this, uh, this mentality of what have you done for me lately, and we don't get to apply that to those people. But if there are five people that I think through singles and inarguably doubles that have taken full advantage of these opens and propelled themselves into those conversations of best in the world, it's Matt Guy, it's Cheyenne Renner, it's Jimmy Humans, Jamie Graham, and Jordan Power. Those five to me, you could maybe add in a Tony Smith. He's right on the fringe there. Um, I would argue he's right, right on that top five. But those five players to me have really elevated themselves through this open series and have been delivering at a high level. So, so really excited to see some of the top finishers and singles and, and, and even people like we said, Eddie Grindersleeve and Caleb Batson, who were able to bounce back and had, had really strong finishes and singles. Yeah. I was even just asking, where has David Dennis been? I haven't seen him in a minute. <laughs> like I forgot, yeah. but that's the thing is because he hasn't been coming. I actually forgot about him when I'm thinking of these right. top players. Like, I'm, oh, wait, but what about Damon Dennis? He has to be on there. Thoughts about the uh, singles, Anthony? Yeah, Trey, I love the breakdown. I completely agree with the way you broke that down. But <clears throat> to me, she kind of hinted at it a little bit earlier. We have to mention this because it's getting a little bit ridiculous. We talked last week about Matt Guy's second place curse, right? Another second place. Stop playing. I mean, look at this. <laughs> Noel Monza gets him in Cincinnati. Hicks gets him in Virginia Beach. Renner last weekend, and then now Allen Rawls this weekend. So, Trey, you said it's like flipping a coin in the finals. The dude has flipped four tails in a row. Be what serious. is going what, on? What is happening? <laughs> but, um, yeah, Joss Holland, uh, definitely like you were saying, Trey, completely agree. Um, in all three of our top tens lists, showing out this weekend, taking down bracket C. Um, I mean, Trey, does it get any smoother? Does a throwing step foot pitch get any smoother? I mean, I feel like his pitch is like right. butter. It just looks so smooth. It does. Um, and that's and that's what I talk about being automatic and getting into that zone that we saw in San Diego last year at the Open when he beat Trey Birchfield. That that's exactly what it was. It was effortless. It was smooth. It was it was butter, as you call it. 
no doubt. Um, but yeah, the title going to Alan Rawls. I mean, no love this year yet, right? All year we've been talking about his brother, Alex. His peers pick him 75th in the team's draft. 75th. We got a 75th pick winning an open. Congratulations wow. to Team Skunks, right? A gem <laughs> yeah. of a pick in round yeah. six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Big win. Big win. No doubt. Oh, but Alan gonna... Rawls. Yeah, go ahead, Mish. I was like, they're going to be pretty excited to see that number. I didn't even think about where he was drafted. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, Alan Rawls puffing his chest now, putting us all on notice uh, with his open number six title. And we talked about ceilings and floors last week. I kind of want to bring that into this. And how important it was to minimize the variance in your best and worst performance for the day at a 1.6 or lower. Alan did this. We talked about showing up under the lights and camera of a linear broadcast. He did this and doing it with the best performance of the night. So he threw a 10-4-6 over 28 rounds in that final. He averaged a 9-7-9 in bracket, then balled out and proving that to a 10-4-6 in the final. So that's what it takes to win ships. But I do want to mention he did it with his DPR. He threw a 1.04 in bracket play. No one was even close to that. So for the listeners unfamiliar with DPR, difference per round or the amount of points you're scoring more than your opponent every year. And to put this even more perspective, what does a 1.04 mean, Mish? The best DPR in the pro division last year goes to Damon Dennis with a 0.8. Rawls comes out with a 1.04, 30% more than that. So outstanding performance by Rawls. Strong work, man. I loved, I loved watching the run. Yep, absolutely. Well, let's go into double. So first place, as Anthony said, he was right. Devin Harbaugh, Tony Smith, credit to you. Then we had Trey Birchfield and Alex Rawls, the other Rawls brother. And then in third, Frank Maudlin, Austin Schlobaum, and Eddie Grindersleeve and Caleb Batson. Uh, I will go to you, Trey. What are your thoughts on the doubles? Yeah, for me, really just excited to see some of the teams that I called out. I mentioned this earlier, but Frank Moglin, Austin Slobom, Eddie Grindersley, Caleb Batson, and Trey Birchfield, Alex Rawls all deliver on the main stage. I, I put the pressure on them, said it's time to show up, and they did. Trey Birchfield oh, wow. and Alex I don't know. Rawls. Alex scared me for a moment there. <laughs> there was a scary uh, part of that. I was like, oh, no. He's, yeah. he's not going to make They said on the broadcast that it was like a 5.6 PPR for Alex at yeah. one point. Yeah, not not the greatest. And, and But I think that almost leads to my point that they were able to find a way, right? And they didn't play their best, and they still finished a second overall. And so for me, I think that shows resiliency more than anything, for them to not play their best and still be there at the end. So it goes to show you it's it's almost like, Jamie Grant and that guy last year. People didn't think they played that well, but people forget they finished third at the first national event that they played in. I mean, they were really good at that first national. Did they win? No, but they got there right at the end. And so for this team, that's really what you're looking for in a Birchfield Rawls. You're looking for just a team that can get by and get you towards the end of the bracket until they lock it in. And then once they lock it in, then watch out because they're two of the most talented players in the world on the same team. So, so excited to see that I go back to Eddie Grindersleeve and Caleb Batson for me, this is a fun team to watch. I love the relationship and the dynamic that we get to see between Eddie Grindersleeve and Caleb Batson, kind of this mentor, you know, prodigy role that we, that we see between these two and, and Caleb Batson continues to be an electrifying player to watch with his shot selection and 
somehow just able to maintain his very calm, even keel demeanor, which is unbelievable to me. But the two of them together, fun to watch. They bounce back, excited to see it. I'll let Anthony talk a little bit about Tony Smith and Devin Harbaugh because for me, it's just like almost, yeah, we, we knew it, right? I mean, they're they're electrifying. They're, they're fun to watch. Um, you almost wish, wish in ways that they were, you know, playing together this season uh, as a team. But either way, they're they're going to be fun to watch this year as as individual players. Couldn't agree more, Anthony. You want to hop into it? Yeah, you you nailed it, Trey. Uh, Batson, Grindersleeve, Smith, Harbaugh. Max fun. I mean, I could watch these guys all day and never get bored. I mean, who's better at cutting a bag than Devin Harbaugh? Nobody. And then Trey, yeah. is there anyone better at cleaning up a dirty board than Tony Smith? <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost it's, scary. It's insane, right? So, uh, yeah, so we need to mention uh, Smith and Harbaugh getting it done this time, though, with their PPR, not their DPR. And I know there's a lot yeah. of people out there scratching their heads going, wait, what? And I get mm -hmm. it. We're talking about elite-level carpetbag players. But win the ship with standout stats of 10-plus PPRs and a respectable 0.63 DPR, but really getting it done with that 10-plus on the PPR side. And actually, I'd like to mention real quick while we're talking about PPRs and doubles, Samantha Finley and, and Matt Guy balled out. I mean, we're talking about yeah. Matt Guy doing what he did, but Samantha Finley in the mix with the top five or six PPRs in the entire tier one doubles division. So um, a shout out to her, you know, my girl getting it done there and really taking tough losses. They lost 21-20 and 21-19. That was the end of their tournament. Seriously, one point either way, it could have shake that whole uh, doubles tournament could have shook out completely different. But to bring it back to Smith and Harbaugh, goats, Mish, goats. <laughs> I, <don't. laughs> I know i mean like i said it's just so fun to watch and and i just wish that that was all that mattered <laughs> but i'm you know yeah. there's more to the game i mean if you the thing about matt guy is i i think there's just nobody more center like he's just down the center i, I like at all he if he misses he usually goes past the hole or he misses an airmail but he's just so, and so like that isn't necessarily the most fun to watch, but it is impressive nonetheless by far. All right. We have women, single, senior singles, and advanced blind draw. So I'll go through each of those. The blind draw was Matt Guy and Kevin Smith. In senior singles, it was Ricky, Jer is it Jernigan? And then women's singles, it was Connie Altice and Sarah Cassidy. Now I know Anthony's chomping at the bit. Talk about Miss Connie. So go yeah, ahead. I'll pass it to you. Yeah, definitely some kudos for Connie, but I'd like to start off with Sarah Cassidy. I mean, showing why she's top of the female bagger in the lead last year and why she's a national world champ. I mean, check out her run through the bracket. Second round, she goes through a Tegan Owens, a top female rookie prospect um, who took fifth in the women's singles at the last open. Round three, she has to go through national world champ Samantha Finley, gets the dub. Round four, she's got to go through world and open champ Cameron Velvin gets the win. After taking a loss to Altice, she drops down, or Altice, she drops down and then has to play arguably the best, one of the best players on the planet right now. Cheyenne Renner gets that win, then wins the first game of the double dip. So super proud of Cassidy, you know, staying at the top of the talent pool and showing why she's still in the discussion as a top bagger. But yes, all the kudos to Connie Altice. Um, taking fourth in women's singles in Virginia Beach, coming off a pretty rough showing in Asheville, and then showing out here at open number six with that women's singles title. And again, getting it done with her DPR, a 1.0 DPR. When we talk anything one or greater in DPR, 
that's like 11 plus PPRs, if you will. I mean, it is really difficult to average above a one in an entire tournament. So getting it done, I feel like we're going to be saying her name all season. I mean, she's got serious game, Mish. I'm excited to see where we go with this. I agree. Trey, you want to piggyback off any of that? Connie Altice, elite level player. We'll talk plenty more. I know Mike Morton's got some things to talk about with, with Connie Altice. I think the only thing that I'll add, the only honorable mention that I want to give a shout out, I, I, I really barely touched on it in the beginning, was Deborah Odom. At one point, she looked like she was going to run through certain sections of the bracket. She had a dominating start to her performance in Winter Haven and women's singles and then just kind of fell off a little bit at the end. She then follows that up in singles on Sunday she goes through some big-name players, including someone like an Adam Hisner, who we know has been at the top of his game for a long, long time. She makes it all the way to the semifinals in her bracket. She comes up just a little bit short to Caleb Franklin, who we know has been an elite-level player out of uh, the Southwest Conference for, for a while now. So for me, Connie Altice, yes. Sarah Cassidy, Cheyenne Renner, Cameron Belvin, all those names. The only one I want to add in there, just, just look out for Deborah Odom. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Trey, because uh, we I had to use Deborah Odom as an example of the other side of the game, right? When we were talking floors and ceilings, you know, what we yeah. see as the worst case. So there's no doubt Deborah Odom is an amazing bagger. So thank you for saying that. Yeah, she's going to do some work as well. Yeah, what a perfect time to bring Mike on because I know he wants to talk about some of these stats a little bit deeper. So we'll switch over to Morton's Corner and uh, chat with Mike about some of these ladies. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me, and I am excited to talk about the the ladies in general. But I do want to put the player spotlight, if you will, for for my for my brief moment here in in, in the camera on on Connie Altice. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't be with you guys last week, but I had some stats that I wanted to talk about. I've been singing Connie's praises for I want to say six months or so to anybody that would listen. I knew she was going to shake up the women's division this year, and I cannot believe. She came in second place in the world championships to Cheyenne Renner, who was having such an amazing run. Yet somehow Connie was still flying under the radar up to this point in the season. I do not know how that happens, but she was completely flying under the radar. So I put together some stats. I want to talk about specifically Connie Altice's season in women's so far and women's singles uh, through the opens. But I also want to use it to, to frame a larger context of how strong the ladies are this year. So this year, through six Opens, there have been 10 times where a lady has averaged a 10 PPR or better. Three times it was Cheyenne Renner. Three times it was Connie Altice. And then Maya Cup, Megan Maupin, Allison Peters, and Cameron Belvin all averaged over a 10 one time. So you can see that Cheyenne and Connie have kind of leaped frog their way up to the top. I understand not everybody has played the same number of opens at this point, but I believe if I'm not mistaken, Cheyenne has played four opens. Connie has played four opens and three times out of four, they've each averaged a 10 PPR. So that's just phenomenal shooting. So I don't know, Trey, if you have any general thoughts or, or, or Anthony on, on the strength of the ladies field this year, before I kind of break down Connie specifically and her performance this year. Yeah, I'll just say this is maybe a little bit of a surprise to me to see Altice right up there with Renner as far as frequency as of 10.0 PPRs. But in the end, she is that bag-for-bag bag style player. I know we, we continuously have this PPR versus DPR thought. But if anybody is going to be 
a put as many bags in the hole, I don't care what else happens style of play. Other than a Cheyenne Renner, it's going to be a Connie Altice. Maybe someone like a Lori Duell fits that uh, as well. But Cameron Belvin, Megan Moppin, those players to me feel like really, really strong, aggressive airmail push type players. You can maybe group Sam Finley in the bag for bag category. I think she does have that style, but Sam Finley does have that no hesitation airmail that she can shoot every now and again. Sarah Cassidy probably is someone that would be Rosie more in the bag for bag style of yeah, bag for bag style of game. So so Altai's um, play style doesn't surprise me, but the frequency and, and being equivalent to Cheyenne Renner in that regard is is a huge compliment in itself. Yeah, just big picture for me. Uh, it was two seasons ago on a podcast. I was asked, are we going to see a female win a nationals? And my answer was not yet. I mean, not only were we, if you look at the overall percentage of females in the pool, they're obviously the minority, but the skill level just wasn't quite there with what we were seeing with the male. Completely different story today. You ask me that question, you get a completely different answer. I mean, we were watching these lady baggers just knocking dudes out of the out of the tournament like it's nothing. So Different answer today. Yes, we're we're gonna see it. We're gonna see a lady bagger in the mix of national wins this season. I can't wait to see it. I 100% agree. Again, you know, six opens, ten different times, an, an individual female player has averaged over 10 PPR. Um, that's that is worthy of being able to win a national. Any one of them. So, all right. So. If you can bring up the, the, the stats for Connie here, I, I just found this amazing. This is what I had wanted to talk about last week. This was this is Connie's season so far. Um, her first appearance in the Opens was in Cincinnati. She averaged a 10.33 PPR, the highest in the women's field, and finished in ninth place. I mean, just tough break there. You can see she threw a 10.43 and a 10.42 in her first two games. Beat two great players, uh, Megan Moppin and Sparks, 9.5 and 9.17 PPRs, respectively. But then look at her next two losses there. She threw a 10 and a 10 and a half and lost to Kaylee Hunter and Megan Moppin to, <laughs> to finish in ninth place. You want to talk Same. about hard luck, 10.33 PPR, and you finish in ninth. All right, so then she moves over to Virginia Beach. Now, this is the only open where she seemed to struggle a little bit. Um, she ended up in 13th place overall with just a 9.25 PPR. Um, that that first was a, is a typo there. She was not first in PPR. Um, she was maybe around 10th or 12th, something like that. But um, she didn't do horribly there, a 8.21, 9.5, a 9.09, and a 9.83. Um, but that was that's sort of her anomaly. That was her one time out of four. She did not average over a 10. So Which we'll is fast funny. Forward. Which is yeah. funny because I think that was her strongest performance in open singles. Because I think in that one, didn't she didn't she make it all the way to like the bracket semifinal or or the winner's bracket final in singles at that event? I believe she made it to at least the semis, if I'm not mistaken. In that, in Which that is one. wild. It is. It is. So we'll fast forward to open number five in Asheville. She averaged a 10.2 PPR and still only managed ninth place. Now, if you're keeping track, that's two opens that she averaged over a 10 and couldn't do better than ninth place. That is the, the, the context I want to give for how strong the ladies are this year. Like you just don't do that. You averaged over a 10 and came in ninth place twice. So <laughs> you can see here, she threw a 10, eight, two, and she needed to in that first round. Um, 
and then she she dripped, dipped down to a nine nine three, which means she took a loss to uh, Deb Odom, who threw a ten four seven. There's your floor um, ceiling then, right there. Your floor ceiling floor overlap. Ceiling. Yep, absolutely. And then she came back and responded with three pretty strong games: a nine six four, a ten three eight. But Megan Maupin was her kryptonite again there in that fifth fifth game. She uh, uh, lost to Megan in a tight win. Megan threw over a ten against her, finished in ninth place. So it didn't take a rocket scientist, or doesn't take a rocket scientist, to see that the odds were about to even out and give her some some you know fate on her side. So we go down to to Winter Haven. Look at these PPRs. I'm not sure I've seen anything more impressive. Every game over a 10. She said, you know what? Forget this throwing a 9.96 and losing. I'm not going to throw under a 10 on the, on the entire day. And she did throw a 10.00 exactly one time and lost. Wow. <laughs> Just That's unbelievable. So she averages a 10.17 on the day highest PPR in the field, and she gets her well-earned first-place finish, which had been brewing for quite a while. So I would make the argument that she is just as strong in the women's division as Cheyenne Renner at this moment. When, when you, that when you is, that's up, a bold statement. I'm, I'm oh, telling you, when you stack the statistics up side by side, she is every ounce as strong as Cheyenne Renner in the women's field. Now, she hasn't had the breakthrough on the other side yet, but I would submit to you, it's coming. She's new. She's a rookie. This is her first year on the big stage. She's got to get some stuff under her belt, um, and I think you're going to see her shaking it up you know, in the open division just like Cheyenne is. All right, so let me ask you this. Connie Altice and Cheyenne Renner played 10 games. How many games does Connie Altice win in your mind? I'm going to go five and five. I have seen Connie. Wow. I have seen Connie play a lot. I've seen Cheyenne play a lot. Connie is Connie is a phenomenal player. I'm telling you, the more you guys see her, you can come back and you can revisit this segment. And I, I stand by my word. Mike, the, the holy hot take segment is at the end of the show. It's at the <laughs> end of the show. A little show. early. A little early on that. Well, what, no. would, what would your be, Trey? Well, what do you think? How many would she win out of ten? I, I'd probably say seven three. Uh, Renner, seven, three? Renner, all size. Yeah. What do you I'd, think, I'd, Anthony? Eight two. Yeah. Okay, so I, that's. And I think I'm that's probably the more popular. So the, I think the more you give to Renner, the more popular, the, the, the more that the general public would uh, be apt to agree and say yes, that is that is correct. Listen, I, I want to say two things. Remember, I put Cheyenne in my top 10 singles before the season. So that's how that's, high. Yeah. That is how highly I think of Cheyenne. So, you know, this is not a knock on Cheyenne. This is definitely trying to shine a spotlight on a player that has flown under the radar for no good reason. You know, Connie is a phenomenal player, putting up phenomenal numbers consistently. Um, I just think it's time that we start giving her her due. She's had some bad breaks. You know, how do you average over a 10 twice and, and end up in ninth place? Again, she was out shooting Cheyenne Renner in, in at least one of those tournaments. She outshot Cheyenne Renner. Just just some bad luck, bad breaks. 
what I what I'd like to see is is uh, and maybe I just haven't seen this style of play yet. But you know, typically in the in the women's division, we see a lot of hole chasing, right? We don't see a lot of that dirty style game. You get into the open format, and you got a world of mm-hmm. defensive minded players. So, have you seen some of this play, Mike? How how does she perform? Obviously, you're going to have a high PPR when you're throwing against high PPR players. But if someone kind of puts some stuff in her way, how does she, how is her air mill look? How is she stepping out, getting around bags? Is she good there? She hit. I, I got to I got to call the women's finals, and um, Sarah was Sarah was just getting frustrated. I mean, God bless. Sarah was looking over at us doing the announcing and smiling at us like, what what can I possibly do? I can't do anything to stop her. Sarah forced her into one airmail and Connie drugged two bags. You know, it's it's solid. She doesn't prefer to go to an airmail, but she's got a solid airmail when she needs to use it. But she would prefer to just push through stuff. The, the one the one caveat I'll say to that is is who did you say her kryptonite was? You said it word for word. Her, Megan Moppin. Her, her kryptonite right now is Megan Moppin. Um, so I if it's Megan say... Moppin, what do we learn from Megan Moppin? Megan Moppin is the definition of aggressive, like yes. nine out of ten aggressive. So Megan Moppin is going to lay herself in a position where she can be aggressive, meaning blocks, pushes, cuts, rolls. All of Absolutely. that. Yep. So, so, but I do want to circle back to the very beginning of this. And I, I wanted to put a spotlight on Connie, but I also wanted the broader spotlight to be on the ladies in general, the, the play thus far and the open divisions for the, for the ladies has just been absolutely unmatched in anything we've ever seen before. Um, you start looking through the names of those players that was on that list of Connie's matches and who she's beaten and who she's lost to. And what the PPRs in those matches were, just scary good talent in the ladies' division this year. I agree. Good stuff, Mike. Yep. I couldn't have said better myself. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Ceiling of all yes. I think you're going to see a lot of bright stuff from the ladies this year. But thanks for having me, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. All right, we got news around the league. We've had the Mountain North Conference event uh, in advanced singles. We had Steven Sanford and second place Justin Carpenter. For advanced doubles, we had Justin Carpenter and Luke Hinkle and second Pablo Isles and Andrew Clark. Sorry if I didn't get those names right. I know, Anthony, you had some stuff to chat about this one being over there in your, sort of your neck of the woods. Yeah, sure. Maybe just a quick explanation of conferences for those that may not understand this fully. So the U.S. is broke up into 14 different conferences, and they're made up of anywhere from two to seven states. So these conferences will hold tournaments for the baggers residing in their state clusters, and then they'll earn points towards their overall end of season ACL point accumulation. So at the end of the at the end of the year, that point accumulation is one of the few avenues of qualifying for a pro. So now in this case. We're talking about the Mountain South. So this is uh, Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming. Um, So it's talking about that one specifically. You know, congrats to Sanford and Carpenter. These are rookie pros that I definitely look forward to seeing and learning about their games this season, but really want to give recognition to East Los and Clark. I mean, we're talking about genuinely good people uh, who are solid influences on the game and a huge part of the growth of Cornhole in that Mountain North Conference. So great to see these boys continue to show out in the Mountain uh, North event. So, yeah, shout out to those guys. 
Yeah, and I think what what is interesting to me, you, you take more of a big picture thought. I'll take a little bit more of a, a specific thought here. Eastless and Clark are players that have played together for uh, you know a couple of years now within the pro division. Um, they're not going to be with us in the same capacity that they've been in previous years. But for me, I'm kind of looking who's the next generation, right? Coming into the last season, it was Eastless and Clark saying, watch out for Kevin Biller. And although Kevin Biller wasn't someone that was necessarily at the biggest stage all the time, he was someone that upset Matt Guy and won himself a pro shootout in men's singles, making it to that pro shootout championship. He did something that was memorable for one time. So one day he was great, right? Ceiling. Yeah, ceiling. Ceiling, right? One day he was great. So for me, Isles and Clark are a great benchmark for me. So they were defeated by Justin Carpenter and partner Luke Hinkle, Justin Carpenter being a pro. And then in singles, we saw Steven Sanford, pro, Justin Carpenter, pro, no Clark, no Isla. So so for me, if I'm setting my gauge, my bar as being Andrew Clark and Pablo Islas, a team that, again, in a pro qualifier uh, invitational shootout type of format, made it to a broadcast, made it all the way to the finals, right? Did something legendary, did something special, if someone is outperforming them at, say, one of these conference events, to me, that's a little light bulb that goes off in my head that says, hey, keep an eye on Carpenter and Sanford. There might be a reason why that they they won those tournaments, and maybe we get a ceiling at a good time this year to the point where we get to see them uh, really put on a show on a big national stage, and I'm just excited to see that. Awesome. I am as well. All right, we're moving into buy or sell, and we we got to talk about this first one. So <laughs> now that guy should be worried about his string of second and third place finishes or his broken head and tails coin. I don't know what's going on over there, but Trey, will you buy or sell that first one? I am. I am going to sell again with one okay. caveat. With one caveat. He cannot panic and change something because I, right. I know Matt Guy. He is a perfectionist, and here's what I don't want to happen. And if Matt Guy is listening, he needs to listen to what I'm telling him right now. You do <laughs> not change anything. Nothing. Don't, don't change anything for a second because – This is the type of thing, this run of second place finishes for someone that is so mentally focused and such a perfectionist that will drive him to want to change something. He'll come out the next one, he'll be a little bit more hunched over. He'll come out to the next one and he'll no longer be stepping. He'll say to himself, I'm just going to tweak something small. And then we see the cliff dive and then we not the metaphorical cliff dive where it just, he's back to being a very good, but not great player. So for me, I'm selling. Unless he changes something, Anthony. Yeah, Five, sell, sell. Okay. Uh, like you said, don't change anything. But here's the thing about uh, Matt Guy right now: he's simply bringing out the best of everyone else's game in the championships. Check this out. Yeah, he throws a ten point four three PPR in the finals against Rawls past weekend. Bananas, right? Rawls throws his best of the day at a 10.61 over 28 rounds. We see the same thing with Hicks. We saw Renner win it with an 11.13 over 23 rounds. Matt threw a 10.8 
So he's not slouching, Mish. I'm simply <laughs> just saying he is bringing out the best of everyone else's games in the championship. Nothing to worry about for Matt Guy. It is not a bad thing. You're, Matt, Matt, you're so good that you make everyone come out and play the best game they've ever played. Yes. This is not a bad thing. Yes. <laughs> And well, I it can't it can't like strike every time. I don't think. All right, let's go to the second one. Connie Altice finishes this season as the second highest ranked female ACL pro behind Cheyenne Renner. Trey, buy or sell? This is really hard. Ooh, um, you know what? You know what Mike would say. Yeah, Mike. Mike. Mike bought this twenty minutes ago. Um, <laughs> so for me, I I am going to sell. Because I get the field, right? Is, is is if I put odds on everybody, uh, Connie Altice, I may give the biggest odds, right? But if you're saying I have to pick Connie Altice or I get Sarah Cassidy and Cameron Belvin and Sam Finley and Rosie Streaker and Bella Soprenant and Miranda Coy and all these, that, that just makes it a little too rich for me. I'm going to sell it, but I would maybe give her the best second odds of, of finishing high in open singles. She's done it so far. Okay, fair enough. Anthony, buy or sell? Yeah, I feel – I am confl- I mean, I, I, if you asked me this before Mike's breakdown, I would have been pretty confident <laughs> in my answer. <laughs> he threw up some pretty amazing stuff there. I'm a little conflicted. Um, I, I think I'm just going to stick with my gut. I'm, I'm going to sell it. I think it's too early to jump on that train. But certainly, Connie, a top five candidate. But like Trey was saying, to put her at top two, we're dropping a few female pros down the list that have demonstrated linear broadcast level, elite level play over multiple seasons. Connie definitely played like a top two female this past weekend. I would say this. If she runs that back, at Nationals number one coming up in Vegas, I'll buy it all day. Okay. That's, I think that's a great way of putting it. All right. The Rawls brothers outperform the Cobb brothers this season <laughs> at pro events. <laughs> buy or sell? We have brothers versus brothers. Okay. Um, you know what? You know what? Uh, Tyler Cobb has answered my criticisms, right? He has been red hot. Love it. The problem is his brothers have it, right? <laughs> so I'm going to buy it. I am going to oh. buy it based on what oh. I just saw from Shots Alan Rawls. <laughs> I am going to take the Rawls. Um, you know, Tyson Tubby, uh, I love them, love them to death, but they got to start playing and they got to start dealing. I mean, they can't be making tier two doubles at some of these opens. If you're going to compete with Alan Alex Rawls, I mean, watch out. So I, I'll buy it. Anthony, buy or sell. Oh, yeah. Trey's pulling the words right out of my head here. Uh, this one's hilarious, by the way. I love this <laughs> it one. <is. laughs> if, uh, I mean, if Alan keeps playing like he threw this past weekend, I'd buy that all day. Um, like you said, Ty's certainly pulling his weight in the Cobb side of the equation. Ty's definitely capable. But what do we? when is he going to show up? When are we going to get from him? I don't know yet what to expect from Tubby. Um, yeah, real tough one. But uh, based on Alan's singles performance this past weekend, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy as well. I'm buying. And there's three Rawls brothers as well. There is a third. a third. Garrett is the third. Garrett is not a pro though, so there is Got there it. is a third. So maybe maybe the tiebreaker will be if like Garrett Rawls is right at the top of open standings. Maybe <laughs> that's the maybe that's yeah. the uh, the ultimate uh, uh, tip the scale. Okay, got it. All right, Trey Birchfield should be concerned about a singles game, which he posted about, I believe, on Facebook. Uh, Trey uh, by herself. I'm going to sell with a but, okay? Oh, sell, but, 
Okay. What I saw this weekend for Trey Birchfield was an eensy weensy bit concerning for me and not from his finish, not from his stats, not from anything. What is Trey Birchfield's nickname? He is the robot. Okay. We have called him that for a multitude of reasons. One of which his delivery has been robotic. He's laser focused. He's everything. I want all of you diehard Cornhole fans to go back and watch Trey Birchfield this past weekend at the Open. At the Open. And after every single bag that he throws, he's releasing it and he's leaning a little bit to the left. He's releasing it. He's got a follow-through step. He's releasing it and he's taking a step off to the left side. There is nothing robotic about what Trey Birchfield is doing right now. which in That means it has changed in... Five months, six months, because if you go back and watch that game against Cheyenne Renner when Trey Birchfield wins a World Singles Championship, the kid is laser. I mean, he's just, he's not moving. Everything is confident. Everything is boom, boom, boom. To me, I see someone right now in Trey Birchfield that is questioning a little bit what he's doing, and that that worries me just a little bit. So I'll sell it, but... But we're concerned. Trey, but we're concerned. Trey, I love I love the pitch breakdown. You know, you know that's my jam. So yes. that has been bothering me for a while. Um, <laughs> and Noah Wooten started doing that too after his win, uh, after his big win against Jamie Graham. He started kind of falling out of his pitches. I talked to him a little bit um, about that. So I'm 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 going to buy or I'm going to sell without the butt. Um, and the reason being, um, if we kind of look at Trey's losses over, you know, what are we really talking about when we say we should be concerned? Open number three, he takes fifth in his bracket, losing to a Matt guy, or he takes fifth overall, losing mm-hmm. only to Matt guy 22 to 19. So he's really close at getting into the bottom four of that huge open. Takes ninth in his bracket at open number four, but loses to a slow bomb that puts him out. He takes second at this past weekend in bracket, losing to Josh Holland, and he threw the highest PPR in his bracket. So it's tough with losses. So here's the thing. I was able to talk to him right before the show. He agrees his singles performance has dipped slightly, and he wants to focus on two things. One is controlling matches that he has big big leads in. Basically, keeping control and not blowing big leads. Check this out. His last three matches against Matt Guy. He's up 17-8, loses. He's up 10-2, loses. He's up 11-0 and loses. And then he was up 10-0 to Holland this past weekend, and loses. So he's definitely got to get that under control. And then the second thing he said is, I need to make some salt, small tweaks going into nationals to just get myself to prepare for that. And, and like you said, Trey, I think one of those tweaks is getting back to the robot, you know, just clean up that falling out of his pitch a little bit. So I'm going to sell it without the butt. I think we're, I think we're good. Um, I think he's going to show up at national number one. All right. Last one. We just announced the international ACL pros last week. So Canada has the best performing pros this season. Buy or sell? I will buy it. Uh, you know, I think it's really cool that we have some international pros now, part of the division. They'll, they'll play as PDC players going into the nationals in which they can attend. Jamie Cowan kind of leading that group as like an old school leader. But then you have people like Dean Lang, who we saw at the World Championships this past year. We saw him. Anthony got to call Dean Lang's game. Uh, that was really exciting to see. I think if anybody gives them a run for their money, I, you know, there's some good players out of France. There's some good players out of Sweden. 
I think it's got to be a European player that kind of steps in and maybe overtakes the, the Canadians, but I think the Canadians are going to be the most solid. Okay. Buy or sell, Anthony. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I mean, I got minimal visibility on the national stuff. I've seen a little bit though, but uh, Canada definitely standing out. And like you mentioned with those boys uh, that showed up at the U.S. versus the world competition, very humble, very gracious, and very positive about growth of cornhole in Canada. So they're definitely a part of that growth out there. So I just wanted to mention that watching that growth at a national level is, uh, international level, excuse me, is, is exciting to see. So things are coming. I can't wait. It is. It gives hope. It gives hope for the sport and where we're going. All right, let's move into our teams conversation. So the full schedule of the teams was released on ACL Live last night. So you can uh, definitely tune into that if you missed that. But we have some exciting kickoff battle matches coming up. And we're going to have four at the kickoff battle, four at Cornhole Mania, four at Bag Brawl, and then three at that last final chase and then it's going to be seeded into the playoff bracket at worlds 2022 so trey i know you have some of those matchups here for us to take a glance at um and anthony you have a couple you want to chat about yeah sure so so what's exciting right is, is we finally get to see how these teams shake out what strategies are going to be used what partnerships are formed within those teams what impact does the pdc play you know, how do these coaches play out? Are they going to be good coaches, bad coaches? Does chemistry matter? Anyways, there's going to be a bunch of stuff we're going to learn, but I definitely wanted to focus on the sliders and the shuckers. Um, I have these two teams similarly ranked, and Trey, you did too with a grade A minus and B. So what I'm looking for here is, is does that true partnership style draft format used by Gre uh, Brett Guy play a significant factor? Uh, the, shucker, the shuckers appear to be kind of a hodgepodge of good players where the sliders are built on partnership chemistry so does that matter so i'm really excited about that one and then the second one is the lumberjacks in the maze and the reason why i'm excited about this one is this is the largest gap in the rank matchups per both mine and trey ranks i had him ranked at a three versus a 16 trey has them as an a minus team versus a c minus team so mish what i'm excited about is is do we see a blowout validating these ranks or do the lumberjacks <laughs> take a win and totally have us all scratching our heads on this whole team concept thing? So I'm excited to see how that one shakes out too. If that's the case, everybody loves an underdog story. So I think, I think we're, we're good with that one. All right, let's, let's look at some of these, more of these matchups. Trey, you have one you want to talk about here? Yeah, I think for me, one thing that's going to be interesting is going to see the battle of captains. And I'm really excited to see when captains go head to head that are very analytical, right? And so for me, someone like a bullies versus the cutters, someone like an Eddie Grindersley versus an Eric Davis, Eric Davis, I thought drafted one of the best teams, the cutters, I was not very impressed by their drafting strategy. So what I really want to see is how do these teams assemble? How does Eric Davis take his team and assemble the best lineup that he can? Is there going to be analysis? And in here, we are coming in, you know, right off, fresh off of a first round matchup. So do I have, you know, Eric Davis going to tell his PDC reserves, hey, I'm playing the cutters next. Go over to courts one through eight where their cutters are playing and tell me what their matchups are. Tell me what boards they're playing on. And that way you can give me that information so I can put together a lineup card that best executes against this, this cutters team. So I think that's going to be one of the interesting things here, especially in the second round matchup. 
Anthony, you have one you want to chat about? Yeah, just the carpet burners in the maze. The reason why I like this one is, is the, to me, these are two of the top three to four teams, if you will, going heads at the first national. So really want to see how that shakes out. Trey also had them at a B plus and an A minus rank. So we have predicted similar teams. So I would like to see a really tight battle here. Maybe it comes down to that final game. So that's the one I'm looking out for from a, from like a tight uh, prediction, if you will. Could come down to the last game. All right, cool. And any other thoughts on these last few matchups here? Yeah, again, for me, I'm talking about captains. So for me, looking through these third matchups, even someone like a Cheyenne Renner leading a team against a Damon Dennis, I'm really excited to see Cheyenne Renner as a captain this year. Does she really take that and really run with it through these last you know, few matchups here at the kickoff battle? Or is she more someone she kind of appoints a co-captain to let them drive the conversations? That's going to be really exciting to me. And then Adam Hisner as a team captain, high energy. I think the Rollers even though I don't have them as really one of the top tier teams, they're kind of middle of the road for me. I really excited. I think they may be one of the more exciting teams to watch. I just think they're going to bring a ton of energy to each one and also the timber as well. I'm excited to see Steven Bernasette kind of in that role as a team captain. He takes on the freeze in that fourth matchup at the kickoff battle, but ultimately I think it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch these team matchups this year. I can't wait. Just a little bit we got to see at the uh, in Myrtle Beach with the US uh, A. I mean, all of that was super fun. So I can't wait to watch it. All right, it's time for holy hot takes. Trey, you got a hot take for us? All right, this is gonna embarrass myself, but I'm gonna do it anyway. All right, Lori Duell came up to me in Myrtle Beach. She said, "Trey, if the Bills beat the Patriots, will you jump through a table?" I said, "No, I'm not gonna do that. The Bills are gonna win." She goes. Okay, if me and Connie win a national in women's doubles, will you jump through a table like Bill's Mafia? I said, fine. So Trey jumps through a table this year. Let's go. Uh, jumps through a table at a national event because uh, a duel and all ties get it done at one time. <laughs> a, that is awesome. Anthony, what about you? I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to the Trey Birchfield discussion. So I think Trey shows us that there's nothing to worry about in regards to a single game. I'm going to holy hot take that he is in the bracket, his bracket final at national number one. We're going to see him there in the bracket final. Okay, fair enough. And mine is, I think Bella is going to come up through this season to really rival that second place beyond, uh, right behind Cheyenne Renner. I think Bella's going to come up there. Good so, hot take. Uh, I got you, Bella. All right, that's all we got today. Uh, we will see you all next time. And look forward to that first team's event at the first national coming up in Vegas.